While it's not Quentin Tarantino's first movie, Pulp Fiction is definitely the film that put him squarely on the map. This series of vignettes centers around a well-known gangster, Marcellus, and his enforcers, Jules and Vincent, as they drive around L.A. taking care of their boss's business. The stories crisscross and overlap as Tarantino tries to capture the spirit of the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns and Martin Scorsese gangster movies. I'm Valerie Higgs, and this is my Cinematic Bucket List. The last time I watched this movie was in the theater. A friend of mine asked if I wanted to see the movie, and although it was a couple hours before rehearsal I had to get to, I said yes. I was used to the length of movies at that time, which were was like 90 to 100 minutes long, and I didn't realize how late I was about to be. <laughs> I ended up being an hour late for rehearsal. Oops. The first thing that stood out and slapped me in the face was the Miramax logo. Due to the Me Too movement and the outing of Miramax founder Harvey Weinstein, it's not a good look. I do remember how many great movies Miramax was responsible for, but ugh. It brought up a lot of questions about what went on behind the scenes during the filming of Pulp Fiction. When his name appeared alongside his brothers in the opening credits, I groaned. This was the first QT movie that I ever watched. I thought it was wild and a little more violent than I was used to. I remember the James Bond film The Living Daylights was the most violent movie at one point and filmmakers started toning it down a little bit. Tarantino really brought it all screaming right back. I finally watched Tarantino's first movie, Reservoir Dogs, about a decade later, and I liked that a lot too, actually. It was less blood than Pulp Fiction, that's for sure, but somehow it felt more violent, and I pretty much have watched everything he has done, except for The Hateful Eight. I started it, but I started getting sick of hearing the N-word 50,000 times in the first 10 minutes. So I turned it off. More on that topic later. Though the main characters, Jules and Vincent, are the focus throughout the movie, aside from Butch the boxer later on, all of the action really revolves around Marcellus, the big bad villain. Jules and Vincent are his henchmen, and they're driving around L.A. doing various tasks. The first task was picking up a suitcase containing a valuable item of Marcellus's, from five extremely low-level drug dealers. Jules and Vincent's casual conversation, a Tarantino trademark, stood out the most. He hadn't quite mastered the hangout that regular people do on their way to and from errands. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I believe he did his best work with that. Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt chatted here and there in the car, but they also rode around in silence. They didn't have any quotable phrases like Jules and Vincent did, such as the discussion about what the French call McDonald's quarter pounder with cheese. I think the best example of the hangout was in Richard Donner's Lethal Weapon movies. It really tickled me to hear Danny Glover and Mel Gibson just casually talking in the car. It just felt very natural. Another trick Tarantino uses was stolen. Well, maybe that's too harsh a word. How about purloined? <laughs> uh, was Martin Scorsese's technique of using very identifiable music to accentuate scenes. He does this a lot in Goodfellas and Casino specifically. 
Scorsese uses that technique more judiciously, as far as I'm concerned, but Tarantino's heavy hand actually doesn't bother me in Pulp Fiction, or in general, actually. As I mentioned in Season 1's episode about Once Upon a Time in the West, I really didn't know what the heck QT was trying to do with his movies. Only when I saw Sergio Leone movies did I understand. As a first effort for Tarantino, it was stunning and it made a big splash. In retrospect, Pulp Fiction is very heavy-handed. Enjoyable, but heavy-handed. The intimidation scene between Jules and Brett, the low-level drug dealer, was not too bad, but the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards really perfected it with Christoph Waltz. Tarantino learned from his mistakes and improved his technique with each movie. Until Pulp Fiction, John Travolta's film career had been floundering. He had become a household name in the 70s, starting with Saturday Night Fever, Grease, and Welcome Back, Cotter, the TV show. Then he stumbled a bit with Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, and Twist of Fate, a reunion movie with Olivia Newton-John. And it really did seem like the world was tired of Travolta. Aside from Look Who's Talking, with Kirstie Allen and Bruce Willis's voice, folks were really kicking him when he was down. He did a couple movies after that and an unwatchable sequel to the successful Look Who's Talking, and then he was cast in Pulp Fiction. He was usually a good guy in his movies, but he played the baddie Vincent Vega, covered in blood, shooting up heroin, and shooting people in the face. He had a foul mouth, and he looked sloppier than the very clean look Tony had from Saturday Night Fever. This was not the John Travolta we knew and loved. He was really great and he was fun to watch, but I do have to take issue with the Academy nominating him for Best Actor and nominating Samuel L. Jackson, who played Jules, for Best Supporting Actor. My argument is Samuel did most of the dialogue between the two and nailed his role. His character had an arc. He was dangerous and unapologetic about it until an act of God in his mind occurred. He redeemed himself late in the film and had some excellent monologues. Travolta really did not. I believe the industry loves when someone rises from the dead, career-wise, especially if the industry is responsible for killing their career, and they get excited by throwing awards at those people. I've seen it several times, and it's a bit off-putting. There are so many iconic movies in Pulp Fiction that I can't even count them all. Jules's monologue before he and Vincent shoot Brett. You know, the God, I will rain hellfire. Vincent shooting up the heroine. Mia, played by Uma Thurman and her black bob wig. The first official image of QT's alleged foot fetish when she makes her appearance. Jack Rabbit Slims. The twist contest. The adrenaline shot into Mia's chest and heart at Vincent's drug dealer's house, played by Eric Stoltz. The Gimp, Zed, The Diner. I mean, we could really just go on and on. The biggest surprise is on rewatch, I paid attention to the entire thing like I never saw it before. I know I'm supposed to be doing that anyway, but I just knew that I was probably going to be on my phone scrolling more than anything. But it really wasn't the case. What makes this movie one of the greatest is that you really do stay interested to the end. Switching gears, I would personally rethink showing up in my own movies if I was a director. Alfred Hitchcock did it best. He kind of set the standard for it. M. Night Shyamalan does it, pushes the envelope, actually. But Tarantino throws himself into his movies with abandon. 
He really is not an actor. He just kind of plays himself in every movie. And I've tolerated him in other films, but really they could have gotten anybody else to play Jimmy, Jules's friend, that he goes to when Vincent has to clean up the incident in the car. Another argument I have heard is that QT really writes his characters that talk like he does. Like every character has the same kind of... <laughs> same kind of dialogue that QT would have. And it's amusing at times, but it's really annoying at others. For instance, I saw it about the ladies' bathroom scene at the diner where Mia is snorting coke, and when she's taking it in, she says, God damn, God damn, with that weird pseudo-black accent. I never understood the re I mean, is that, I guess Quentin would say that. I, you know, I just never understood the reason behind that. Which brings me to another point. As I mentioned, I didn't finish The Hateful Eight because of his excessive use of the N-word. It was not as overused in Pulp Fiction, which is obviously a much earlier released film. I still took issue with it, especially when Jimmy, played by QT, was talking to Jules in his kitchen. Yes, yes, people use the word liberally more than others. It just really gets tired after a point when you're watching a two-plus-hour movie. Even when I'm watching Scorsese movies. The word pops up randomly, even when there are no black people in the movie. It's like, we could give it a rest. I had some funny moments that I want to note. First, during the scene at Jack Rabbit Slim's, Mia orders a $5 milkshake, and Vincent thinks that's too much money for milk and ice cream. Doesn't that sound quaint? <laughs> By the way, if you're ever in the D.C. metro area, try Ted's Bulletin. They have boozy shakes. I am partial to the white Russian. The boozy shakes are $14, and the non-alcoholic ones are $8 and $9, and it depends on which flavor you get. In the taxi scene, while Butch makes his getaway after deciding not to throw the boxing match according to Marcellus's plan. I had to wonder, as he was sitting there, why is the background video circa 1940s? Just take a look. It's black and white, first of all. Maybe it wasn't supposed to call attention to anything, but it was really weird. It's like 1940s cars in the background. I thought that was kind of strange and quirky in a weird way. Harvey Keitel was at a fancy event at his house before coming over to help clean up the mess in the car at Jimmy's. But then he says, Jimmy's wife will be home in an hour and a half at 9.30 a.m. I was like, is this, a, is this a continuity problem? Why would he be at his house at, I guess, 8 o'clock in the morning? His daughter was awake. It looked like his daughter, young daughter, wearing a nice dress. He was in a tuxedo. It was very strange. And then they drop off the car to get, and the body of the guy who unfortunately died in the car, to get smashed at the junkyard. And he says, oh, I'm going to take out the owner to breakfast. That was confusing to me. And finally, I only recently discovered that Amanda Plummer, the woman who plays Honey Bunny to Tim Roth's pumpkin at the diner, is the daughter of Christopher Plummer, which somehow I missed. Christopher Plummer, of course, the captain in The Sound of Music. I mean, I guess the last name sort of tipped me off at some point, but I really didn't know her name easily for a very long time. Pulp Fiction was a very engrossing movie. Never mind your feelings about it and its shortcomings. It is as American a film 
as Yankee Doodle Dandy. Should it have been put on AFI's greatest film of all time list? Absolutely. Why it is on this list should not come as a surprise. It was a very strong film that made Quentin Tarantino a powerful name. Like him or hate him, you can't deny it. The next episode is a discussion of Lucino Visconti's 1963 film, The Leopard, Il Gato Pardo. This is found high on the British Film Institute's list. I haven't watched Burt Lancaster in ages, so this should be interesting. This is a movie that I actually have never heard of, so that makes me a little more excited to watch. As usual, let me know what your thoughts are about Pulp Fiction. I know you have them. Who in this country does not have an opinion about Pulp Fiction? You can submit your questions and contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This has been My Cinematic Bucket List, and I'm your host, Valerie Higgs. You can find us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks to the host platform Spotify, which really makes it ridiculously easy to start a podcast. Also, thanks to Soundstripe, which is where I found this fantastic theme music composed by Falls. And thank you for continuing to listen. If you liked today's episode, I would really appreciate if you would rate and review at your convenience. See you next time.